Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. My name is Greg Voison. Everybody knows me, but not everybody knows Jane Frankel on the other side of the camera here on this Zoom call. Is Jane Frankel, the author of a book called The Intentional Mindset, uh, Data, Decisions, and Your Destiny. And she is joining us from Pennsylvania today. Uh, New Frankel, you said? Or what's the name of the city? North Wales. North Wales, North sorry. Wales. And okay. how are you doing? Good? How am I doing? Okay. Yeah, how are you doing? Good? Oh, I'm great. Good. I'm very good. Well, this book, for all my mm -hmm. listeners, is a book that you should get and apply the knowledge and wisdom uh, from Jane from. And I'm going to let our listeners know something about you, Jane, before we get started. Uh, okay. She is the managing principal of the Art of Performance LLC. She founded in 2007. The website is called artofperformance.net. That's artofperformance.net. Her focus is on building 21st century innovation cultures through workforce and customer engagement, strategic alliances, uh, internship, and innovation planning. Previously, Jane was the Director of Corporate Business Development, Knowledge Management, and Education at Vertex, Inc., the Managing Strategic Alliances with Large Companies and Consulting Firms. Other employers have included Unisys Corporation, Delta Data Systems, and the School District of Philadelphia. She's also the Adjunct Professor in Economics, providing project-based internship and corporate partnership through the College of Liberal Arts of Temple University. She previously taught entrepreneurship and international business at the Fox School of Business, uh, Temple University, and the Global College of Business at Arcadia University. She holds an MS degree in organizational dynamics from the uh, University of PA and an MA in education from Temple University and is a member of the Entrepreneurs Former of Greater Philadelphia an advisory board member of the Center of Regional Economic at Temple University. Well, you've got quite a bio and background, and I think our listeners can go to your website and learn more about her uh, from there. So, Jane, intentional mindset, the term, you know, is, is kind of used a lot. We hear intentional floating around all the time. Be more intentional. Um, uh, really consider what you're doing first before you do it. Do it with a new mindset, meaning a mindset. Yours then has a subtitle called Data Decisions and Your Destiny underneath that, right? So if you right. tell the listeners why you wrote the Intentional Mindset book with this perspective on business, because in business, you know, a lot of times it's just about getting things done. There isn't sometimes a lot of intentionality around it. Uh, business people are hard forging forward. Um, it's like, well, let's just get it done. But you now bring in this new element of let's do this with a tremendous amount of intentionality. So uh, what do you hope the listeners are going to take away from after reading your book? 
Well, that that uh, is a very um, very encompassing question, Greg. And what the reason I wrote this book is because uh, through my experience in the public sector, the private sector, all ages, I'm basically an educator, and I found that in many cases, uh, people people really do the best educating when they do it themselves. If they seek out what they need to know and and how they're going to um, uh, create experiences and do research and have opportunities that will meet their particular goals. So the reason I wrote this is because I encountered so many people who were not using their they were not delving into deeply what they really uh, wanted to do, what they wanted to achieve as goals, what their values were, and um, and their modes of work were not really serving them well. So I thought, well, you know, the these folks, if they had a, a tool set and an intention to actually be in control themselves of their work and their thinking and uh, how they worked with other people, they could be totally self-sufficient, not have to rely on other people, other opportunities. They they would be in charge of finding those things for themselves and uh, would then be the best people to serve themselves. So I just really developed this passion for you can do this. You have the power to do this. If you uh, think, just think about it and think about what you're thinking about. So, right. right. Uh, well, it is, it is, you know, an introspection. Um, intentionality is an introspection. It's a look deep inside about who we are, right. why we do what right. we do and how we could do it better. And could you speak with the listeners about making a mind, the making of a mindset, because that's where it starts. And can you speak with our listeners about the four key components that you talk about and the critical relationship to one another? Because that's where right. this all starts is with the mindset. It all starts with the mindset. And I've defined the mindset as having four components, your goals, which um, are what you want to achieve in your life as your destiny uh, as your legacy and your values are the core principles by which you live your life. And those two things really go hand in hand. So some people will make their values first and say, well, these things, these three things are really important to me. So I'm going to make goals that are aligned with them. Or people will say, these are the things that I need to achieve. What are the values that will support that? So then that kind of provides a flat a platform for you to then go and think about, well, what do I believe about all of the people or the domains that I'm going to encounter while I'm going after those goals with the values that I've defined? And what would should be my mode of work? And when those things are aligned and in sync with each other, then it's much easier to get about the business of actually laying out your goals, which are, there are two sets of goals. There are learning goals and there are performance goals. So we always want to be able to um, lay uh, out a path 
to learn what we need to learn in order to get to the performance of whatever the goal is. Some people don't think about it that way. And if you just think about achieving a goal, if you think about uh, winning a marathon, well, if you if you don't take the time to back up and say, all right, what do I need to do and achieve along the way to learn how to how I'm going to be able to achieve that that goal, then you don't you you haven't you've derailed yourself. You have not really thought about uh, what the uh, what the steps are. That well, I, I think I um, think in that respect, resources. Yeah, it's a you know you set a big goal. Sometimes it's a big reach, but you have all these proximal goals that these are the small tiny steps toward that. But you have to actually do that. You can't just say, "Oh, great, I'm going to make a million dollars." So the question is. Right. Not just how you're going to make a million dollars, but what are the steps you're going to take to get to the million? And what's right. going to inspire you internally to want to do that? What is, what's the reason for you wanting a million dollars just because you want a million dollars? doesn't work that way. And, you know, yeah. you referenced Peter Drucker in his work, Managing yeah. Oneself. And I, you know, I'm a fan of Peter Drucker. I'm sure many of my listeners have read his books. Um, and... He used to be at a university not very far from me here in Claremont, uh, mm-hmm. where he did all his work. And I used to live in Claremont. Right. We would we right. would see Peter Drucker speak. And mm-hmm. it, it, this brings mm-hmm. me back to his work with managing oneself. Could you speak yes. about the importance of what we refer to as the autonomous mindset uh, and the seven skills of autonomy? Because, hey, right. if if you reach this peak... Autonomy is what people want. Right. For self-actualization. Right. Yep. So so Peter Drucker points to three things in, in the, the article and everything he's written about managing oneself. And that's be aware of and take and maximize your strengths, know your values, and know your mode of work. So beliefs I put in there because I think that we all have biases that we need to really explore on the way to between your values and your mode of work uh, because they really do impact your actions and your decisions. So uh, being autonomous is really something that everybody should strive for in this knowledge economy. And by that, I mean, I, I have defined autonomy as being independent in control, but also de- knowing what you're dependent on. So it's really a uh, a dual path forward of what can I do myself? What plans do I need to make? Uh, what learning do I need to achieve? But where will I get all of those resources? The learning, who are the experts? Uh, what are the organizations that might have tools to help me? Where is the network of people? How do I build up my internal capital to uh, be able to take advantage of my strengths and my values and anything that conflicts with those, those three things being aligned is really uh, a detriment to your progress. So uh, the seven skills that I've defined of autonomy are first consider mindset. You really want to delve into what your mindset is and the mindsets of the people you're going to be working with because it really is very difficult to work according to your goals, values, beliefs, and mode of work if the people who you need to work with are not on that same page, if they mm-hmm. have other 
other thoughts, if they have other mindsets. And that's not a good or a bad thing. That That is just the way it is. And mm-hmm. we then need to really consider the mindsets of those people to find uh, a common ground. Uh, a good example of that was the... Um, there, there was a, an executive of Volkswagen in the 1980s, I think it was the 80s, who, um, and this example's in the book, he was charged with creating a partnership between um, Volkswagen's German technology with the uh, Chinese in Shanghai. And the name of the book is A Thousand Days in Shanghai. And I can't imagine uh, a bigger task in, in the context of uh, aligning the Chinese mindset for work right, with right. German engineering, the German discipline. And, and But the point was the Chinese actually wanted that, chi- that German discipline uh, uh, built into their practices to build their auto industry. So... Mm-hmm. You know, he couldn't he couldn't just go there and say, all right, this is the German way we're going to this is our mindset and this is the way we're going to work. He had to integrate whatever he could in the Chinese um, mindset. And he found it that it was very uh, helpful and productive to continue to go back to the goals because they all understood that they had the same goals. So that kind of tied them together and created a platform that allowed them to align the other parts of their mindsets to be able to work together. Well, so I, that's think the I think it goes along with this question. You know, you state in the chapter on the origins of mindset, like the origins of mindset of somebody in China versus the origins of mindset of somebody mm-hmm. uh, in Germany are completely different. And the mindset yes. come and and you, you state in there that um, we have them. We we may not change the source, but we can change its impact. Could you speak about the origins and how we can change the impact of our mindset? Because your example led to how we could actually change the impact of those mindsets. That's right. So so there are five areas that I've defined that. Uh, impact your mindset or help or, or create that for you and their nature and nurture. Sometimes they're the same thing because most often uh, your nurture comes from your, your nature, from your parents. Um, it's genetic and um, also uh, behavioral throughout your life. Then there are your strengths. What are you just intuitively good at, which gives you some insights into how things quote should be done. Uh, then there's the, um, your experiences, what what good things happened to you, what things were not so good, and what did you embrace and build into your value structure from those experiences? Uh, what about your community mentality? We all belong to groups. Groups have expectations on behaviors and on what's important. Uh, and so that is a, a filter that um, helps people uh, that creates people's mindsets. And then there are the uncertainties uh, that we all experience through life where, you know, you think something's going to be uh, one way and it it turns out to be very, very uncertain and uh, unstable. And so all of those things really uh, contribute to how you think and what you think. Now, that impacts what you think. We all think before we have an action or before we decide something. So 
you could say, you definitely can say that your mindset impacts how you go about your business, how you work. Uh, Now, when there's a, a negative outcome to that work, you then uh, most effectively go back and look at what did I, the five whys, what did I do? What was my behavior or what was someone else's behavior that caused this project to go awry or made it the best, the best outcome anybody could ever expect? What was it that made that uh, work? I just, uh, you know, um, shared the, the value, the, example of the going back to the goals, okay, for the Volkswagen Shanghai partnership. So if you can keep going back with the five whys to uh, pinpoint what it was in your beliefs or your mode of work or your values or your goals that uh, impacted that outcome, you then can say, well, I still believe that that was really that was really important. That goal was important, and I don't want to change it. The value, maybe I could change a little bit. And you really uh, reflect on where you could make a change to make an outcome better, or to solidify your actions and your decisions, so that you always use those when you're working on a, a, a similar project in the well, future. Well, and I, I don't want to assume, Jane, that all the listeners know the five whys. But if you just keep asking the question, why, why? That's it. Why? That's all. Yeah. That's all that it is, and it all literally it guides you back to the origin, right, of how that happened. Right. And I think then you have the ability to put the pieces together because your mind has to function in a way. Uh, to be innovative and creative, and you've got to right. look at new ways, which right. is what you have been an expert at doing. And I want to talk about awareness of reality and the impact it has on the communications, how insightful it can be. You know, we create our own reality, right? Nobody outside right. of it does. Um, we do. Speak, if you would, about the four message styles and how this affects the success when working with others, because, you know, I think this is a key to this. It's like, hey, we create our reality. Great. If we're creating that reality, what are we doing to change that reality to make the reality, I'm going to say, better, right? Or to improve it. Because the mindset that you enter any project with, with a business, is actually going to determine the outcome of that particular project. That's right. Right? So if you go in negative with a negative mindset, good chances are, whether you're a team member or not, you're not going to be the greatest team member. But if you can go in with a positive mindset and an intentional mindset and look at it positively and I'm going to say contribute, feel like you wanted to be somebody who contributed to the ultimate outcome of this project, it's going to be successful no matter what happens. It's going to be successful. So how do I, right. how do you change people's reality and you, what you're talking about here, the four styles uh, that affect um, how we are working with others? Well, the, the, the first thing, well, you set your goal. And, uh, but then the first thing you really need to do is look at the goal and the mindset of the people who you will be working with. And determine if they what what type of communication is going to be most effective for them. Mm-hmm. Are they looking for 
uh, someone to preach at them? Do they really want to be inspired by somebody who sets him or herself up as the expert? Uh, do they want to be uh, prosecuted for doing something wrong and then therefore they can go do it right? Uh, do they want to be um, treated as if they're in a political rally where they're being uh, convinced and given motivations and rah, rah, rah? Or do they want some data and information to take a scientific inquiry and support whatever it is you are looking to achieve with them? Mm -hmm. So if you can understand their mindsets, where they are, and what type of communication is going to resonate with them uh, for uh, alignment of their, their activities with your activities, there's a much better uh, chance of getting to um, a common, using a common platform to work together. Mm -hmm. Working together towards a common goal with common values and beliefs and mode of work is just the fastest way to get to a positive result because everybody's yeah. thinking the same thing. There's that team, there's that team group effort going on that is uh, uh, unbeatable. Yeah. Well, you know, look, this intentional mindset, you know, data decisions and your destiny. I'm going to go back to that because if you have enough data to analyze the situation and you can make a more impactful for the decision, you know, hopefully it's a correct one. Not always are they correct, um, right. but it will come to the Disney, which brings me to this. You've talked about this now three or four times. You state that once our goals are set or our goals and our proximal goals and our values have been defined and they're aligned with each other. And confirm with organization and the stakeholders' perspective. So now you're looking at the inner circle and a much right. bigger outer circle here. This isn't just me. This right. is now me and all the stakeholders. It's me and all the right. team members. Um, can you speak with us about the you, – you've already talked about the five whys and how it approaches to connecting the goals and values to beliefs and what you call the mode of work. Right. And I don't think we've addressed the mode of work. Uh, we have addressed the five whys and why you would just keep asking why, 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 why. The question is, mm -hmm. is how does this define the mode of work? Well, let's start with the beliefs, because now we, we've talked about the goals and the values. So your beliefs are your biases and we all have biases Mm -hmm. uh, and um, they're kind of a translation. They are a translation of your goals and values into how are you going to work? And that's your mode of work. Your mm -hmm. mode of work is uh, most easily implemented by setting a, a set of protocols for how you're going to work now and then following them. So, and that that must be aligned very much with your goals and your your values. So if you value diversity, if you say you value diversity, and then in your uh, meeting, your mode of work is to discount somebody, anybody's input who doesn't agree with you, well, then you're not demonstrating diversity and there's a disconnect. So it's really uh, very important to recognize everything that you do. If you give, if, if communicating is a, uh, um, 
a, va a value to you that, you know, communication has to be strong and consistent and accurate, but then you send out um, meeting invitations 10 minutes before the meeting, you're not demonstrating that communication is very important to you. Mm -hmm. And that builds distrust and that builds um, conflict. So uh, mode of work is pretty much um, pretty much everything that people see about you that demonstrates your goals, your values, and your beliefs, and builds your narrative. And your narrative, mm -hmm. of course, of who you are is very, very important because it gets people to work with you or not. So, so um, back to Drucker, uh, the mode of work is something would be demonstrated by considering mindsets. It would be uh, considered, it would, a mode of work would be, would be that you always use data to make decisions. You don't, it's not seat of the pants and it's not, this is how we always do it. There's data to, um, to validate the path that you think uh, you would like to take. So uh, well, you you I'm... mentioned in the book, Jane, that in this 21st century that we live in, which is always on data driven AI. I mean, let's face it, we've got more mm -hmm. tools at our fingertips now than we've ever had right. in our life to get data. Um, actually, right. I think sometimes we're data saturated. Um, but at the same For time. Sure. You know, you say systemic inquiry and decisions drive the destiny. Um, speak with us about how data and information can improve the quality of our decisions. But at while at the same time, I want to say this, not freeze a decision because we're trying to get too much analytics uh, to say, OK, well, I need this, this and this before I make this decision to do X. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Because I, I just think today we do at our fingertips, literally, look at how you and I are now interacting. That wasn't happening even five years ago, right? Uh, so the amount of data that is out there is exponential to our ability to kind of filter data. And I remember one thing that... Um, uh, one of the experts, and I'm trying to think of his name right now, he's been on the show several times, uh, David Allen used to say, you can only be as good as what you allow to come across your transit. And if that comes across your transit and distracts you, okay, you're not going to be making a very good decision. And that's where, that's where mode of work, your mode of work would define how much is enough data and what are the what are the situations that would require more data or less data now i will point out that with all this volumes of data that's out there yeah. your beliefs your beliefs can very much limit what you find because your beliefs your biases rest can restrict what you find because we all look for what we believe in the first right. place right so you being aware of your beliefs would allow you to uh, expand that range of what you might be looking for and not just pick up, you know, when I, when I write something, I, I have an idea and I go look for validation of it, but I also need to be open to 
lack of you know validation or some conflicting data or information that is going to make my argument uh, not not so valid. Because but I want to I uh, want to say something here about emotions. Yeah. Um, and you're a studier of all of this, but you know we've seen in our time, Jane and. I'm going to be 70 in July and I look at it and I see I'm just going to comment on a political system and everyone says social media, a social media environment, which then can create so much divisiveness mm -hmm. um, around a belief that I have on a topic. I don't care what topic it is. It doesn't matter if it's immigration or it's education or it's whatever. But what I can say gets people going is emotion, <laughs> okay? Their yeah. emotional attachment to a belief to stand on something right. and stand so strongly that it affects. Mm -hmm. Now, take this to business. Let's just take that same thing and move it to business. You're saying biases, which I'm just talking about because those beliefs are biases, are right. affecting how we perform in business. And I want to get to that because how we carry these emotions and our ability to let go of our certain beliefs about what we think is right and wrong is affecting everything that happens inside that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true. And, Behavioral uh, and, economists, about 30 years ago, this new field popped up, which was a psychologist, um, and economists got together and said, wait a minute, uh, economic decisions are not made economically. And, and in some cases, that was, that was uh, estimated to be 90% of the time decisions are made based on emotions. So how do you get away from that? Well, the only way you can get away from that is to basically talk to yourself and talk to other people and recognize the difference between a bias and a fact. And that's a, that's a tall order. Yeah. Because people <laughs> want to believe what they believe. And, but uh, if you take it, I always think if you take it a few and speculate and create a story out of it and say, okay, so you believe this and then kind of do the wise uh, in a forward motion and say, well, so what's going to be the outcome of that? What do you think is going to happen? What, what will, if, if, we if, if we believe that and we act upon that, what are the outcomes? And then sometimes that can give a uh, greater insight into why you want to alter that belief or not. Well, where did critical thinking go and logic? <laughs> It went the way of emotions. <laughs> so when I say 90% of the time, look, you've been an educator all your life. You've watched critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. I think we've become very dependent on the devices which we use, which have uh, mitigated the amount of critical thinking skills that we've had. When it really could have enhanced it, we've relied on an iPad or an iPhone or this or that. I'm not picking out a company, right. but something to right. feed us something yes. that literally now has got us believing something that literally that belief could be misaligned with really where we should go, right? 
Well, yes, and I think that that's all very, very valid and great observations. And I would make the same observation about artificial intelligence, actually, because there there is no thinking there. There's matching, and that's that's a great that's a great facilitator for getting information or or getting something written or whatever, uh, you know, whatever you want to do with that. Uh, But if you don't ask the right question, you get the wrong data. And also uh, asking the right question is the most critical of skills. So there's a set of seven levels of critical thinking that I use. And uh, they take you from, uh, from the very basic level of just reading something and acknowledging understanding what it says all the way down to level seven, which is how can, how, what, what new value can I create from those different levels of thinking around, you know, analyzing, synthesizing, evaluating all of those skills. If you do that uh, with a, um, if you do that with a consistency uh, around an issue, then you have to uncover uh, your biases. Well, it will do that. And I want all my listeners to go get a copy of The Intentional Mindset. You can get this on Amazon. Um, great book. It's 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 actually extremely well laid out and thought through. Um, lots of diagrams, charts. But more importantly, I think it's a learning tool. This is a tool for you it to is. learn about how you're thinking, Okay and how you can change your thinking and what we were just talking about, also your emotions associated with that thinking. Now, you asked the audience when we before we came on here that you wanted to give them your email address so they could reach out and get to you. You can go to theartofperformance.net, but you also can get it. We want to give them the email address real quick so they yes. can reach out to you. It's my name, Jane H. Frankel. The H mm-hmm. is important because it doesn't work otherwise. Jane H. Frankel, F-R-A-N-K-E-L, at artofperformance.net. Okay. And, Jane uh, H. Frankel, and we'll put that into the blog entry. Now, Jane, in closing up our interview, I want us to focus on some takeaways from our discussion today. Everybody loves to close something with like, okay, what are the action steps? And I think, you know, it's what? important yeah. because you can sit here and listen to us discuss this. But the question is, do you have anything that I can act on? Um, And if you were to give our listeners today, uh, I always say three big takeaways because we always learn in threes. For some reason, sets of threes seem to always be very good to remember uh, from the book. What might they be? And more importantly, how would they inculcate these into the essence of their being? Well, I would say that the the selves, the three selves are what I would like to talk about and um, help people to embrace. And my in my best of all worlds, people are self-sufficient. Does that mean they're successful every single time? No, but it means that they learn something from everything that they do. And they know how to really be in control, be, uh, be develop the um agency of self-confidence and to then be 
able to create options that they can be accountable to. So the three, the three, the three selves are build your build your self sufficiency by building your confidence through your agency and your self accountability. And there is no better person to take care of you than yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. if you take on <laughs> if you take on that responsibility and do it through developing an intentional mindset, well then you you're you're good to go. You're you're gonna be successful in whatever it is you try to do, no matter how many times you have to change that goal, that value. You know, sometimes the goal is unrealistic, but you don't really realize that until you work your way through the values, the beliefs, and the mode of work that are necessary to align to that goal. So, you know, well, and I, a- I would I would add one thing to yourself, okay? And I know it might be yeah. coming up. Maybe I haven't heard it yet. But as we go through life, you and I, who have reached a level of maturity. I think one of the biggest selves is self-love. To learn how to love yourself for who you yeah. are actually mm-hmm. is one of the things that actually gives you more confidence too. That's right. That's and, in the confidence realm. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think we spend enough time loving who we are and who we've become because we're always trying to get to higher levels of performance oh, or be yes. better. And we right. don't know when that ends, right? Or the other begins. I know Marshall Goldsmith was on here not that long ago, speaking about that gap between regrets and performance, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I don't think there's really, and, and yeah, you can say, well, what are your regrets? But you could say, well, is that, I wish I would have, should have, could have. Well, don't beat yourself up for that. That's um, just learning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just learning. Yeah, it is just <laughs> learning. Well, you know, your yeah. your takeaways are great. And I think for our listeners today, um, really the intentional mindset. And she did say you could reach out to her through her a- email, and it's Jane Absolutely. H. Frankel at the art of performance.net. Jane H. Frankel at the for artofperformance.net. Don't forget the H because if you don't put the H in there, you're going to come across an interior designer named Jane Frankel. Uh, I made that mistake myself. So here's the book, everybody. Go. <laughs> yeah. well, well, interior design, maybe we need to redesign ourselves too. Uh, but Jane's going to help you with the better redesign. So uh, Jane, it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and sharing your insights, your wisdom, and your knowledge of the years of experience that you've had helping corporations uh, work with the people inside those businesses to come to greater levels of awareness and insight about what they need to change personally to actually attain goals that are valuable and important for the purpose and the alignment of those individuals in that company and ultimately to the stakeholders in that company who literally are saying, Hey, I really appreciate what this workforce is doing. And, you know, Jane has plenty of examples, but I always point to a few and one that if you really, people are out there want to look at what I think has done a great job 
uh, and I, it always comes up, is Patagonia. I always say, you know, you want to see a founder who actually gave away the company, who empowered its people, who said, look, you know, I, I think his book is uh, Let's Go Surfing. He tells them to all go surfing so that they can be more um, uh, 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 innovative, right? So take that time away for reflection so that when you come back to the workplace, you have something to apply what that reflection gave you, the gift mm. that you get from that, right? Um, and Jane, I know you've worked with companies like this that know this, but you know, sometimes it's very challenging if you're listening to me still right now to move the needle, both personally, professionally, and organizationally, personally, professionally, and organizationally. And when those three are aligned, there isn't anything you can't do. There isn't anything you can't do. That's so, right. Any party the, words? The environment that allows this to happen is also something that individuals and organizations have to uh, embrace. It doesn't happen automatically. There, ha there have to be resources and time and reflection. There's a whole chapter on reflection so that uh, you actually can get to do some of this work for yourself. And, and time is really critical because um, if you don't take the time, uh, Thomas Friedman's book, Thank You for Being Late, is all about acceleration and don't worry about being late because you need to stop and think. So I, always love, I always love the companies, Jane, that say you can put a sign on your door anytime that says, I am thinking, don't bother me. <laughs> uh -huh. with that uh -huh. happy holidays to you happy hanukkah to thank you. you enjoy uh i and appreciate thank you, Greg. you i really enjoyed the experience thank you so uh, much for the i enjoyed having you on as well and thank you for the book everybody go get the intentional mindset i can never tell which way i'm holding this uh it's uh data decisions in your destiny jane happy holidays to you can I tell your audience about the butterfly on the on the cover? Real quickly. The butterfly, <laughs> the butterfly on the cover represents every individual, and there's a grid. So you can be as free as a butterfly as long as you've created that, that mindset grid to help you. I love it. It's like a tapestry of life. We're all interconnected. That grid right. is the tapestry. The butterfly can fly anywhere it needs to go. Thank right. you so much, Jane. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.